This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, October 14th, 2020. I'm Caleb Brown. Amy Coney Barrett's record on regulation is pretty thin. The Seventh Circuit doesn't get a lot of regulation cases, so what can be said about how Judge Barrett might opine on cases where the government wants courts to defer to Congress or regulatory agencies? Cato's Will Yateman comments. We can't say much. Um, looking at both her, her record on the Seventh Circuit um, and her writings and, in, and indeed her avowed um, ideology, there's just not much we can take from that and have definitive answers. And, and let me unpack that a bit. Um, first, I should note that, that politics isn't destiny when it comes to the Supreme Court. And that's really never been the case. So this notion that we can um, put people in in a box, if you will, as to how they're going to act in the future, um, these justices, that's just belied by history. Um, and, and most recently, I'll point to last term, sort of the big environmental case, County of Maui versus Hawaii uh, Wild, Wildlife Fund. It was a big Clean Water Act case, and and this was the first big environmental case before our, our, our new, you know, quote unquote, conservative majority on the Supreme Court, and it came out six three in favor of, of environmentalists, um, and and that's just it goes to sort of show you um, this prognosticating how justices will act in practice is often a fool's errand just to begin with, um, but then we let's take a look at at, at Barrett's history at, at, you know, her time on the Seventh Circuit. Seventh Circuit just isn't an administrative law powerhouse. Um, that would be the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. That would be the Ninth Circuit, perhaps even the Fifth Circuit. But there just aren't many regulatory cases of any consequence that go through the Seventh Circuit. And she was only on the bench for three years. So there's not much we can read from that. Um, we turn to her, her writings, and she has been prolific. She is uh, undoubtedly, as my, my colleague Ilya Shapiro wrote in a cover story for uh, the New Washington Examiner magazine, the brilliance lives loudly within her. I mean, she is, her writings demonstrate that she is sharp. Um, however, you know, on the one hand, she is a committed textualist. This idea that you look first to the, the text of the law, the statute you're interpreting, you know, as you decide the case. Um, that is widely perceived as being right of center, as being perhaps anti-regulatory. However, um, she wrote a, a recent book review of a Professor Randy Barnett, a friend of Cato, um, his book, Our Republican Constitution. And, and in that book review, it was beautifully written, um, she uh, affirms support for a hands-off approach by courts to laws passed by legislatures, Congress or, or state legislatures, um, with an economic regulatory effect. Uh, that is this rational, quote unquote, rational basis review, which is highly hands off, effectively allows the political branches to, to uh, regulate to their heart's content when it comes to economic matters. So, so again, we've got this uh, uh, mix when we look to her, her writings. On, on the one hand, she's a committed textualist. On the other hand, there are indications that that her her ideology, her jurisprudence, perhaps isn't a, as anti-regulatory state as you might read um, uh, you know, on social media or indeed in uh, news media articles. The third aspect of, of 
her mixed record. Uh, that is to say, the, the third aspect by which we, we can't look to her past, really, um, to, to define how she's going to act with respect to the administrative state, is that she's known as a Scalia disciple. A- and here, uh, this actually isn't known by, by the popular public at large, but there were two Scalias when it came to regulation, when it came to the administrative state. Um, early Scalia, he was a fan. He was a champion of these doctrines like judicial deference, or that is how much respect courts should give to agencies when they interpret the statutes statutes they implement. Um, Justice Scalia, early in his career on the Supreme Court, was skeptical of the non-delegation doctrine. That's another big ballyhooed issue in, in, in contemporary administrative state politics, that non-delegation is simply the extent to which courts can police how much power Congress gives to these regulatory agencies. Um, so, so early Scalia, proponent of deference, early Scalia, skeptical of non-delegation. Later in his career on the Supreme Court, Scalia was rumored to have turned the corner on deference. Um, He was rumored to be more skeptical of the court's approach to the non-delegation doctrine. So so when you say that that Amy Barrett was a disciple of Scalia, which Scalia? Um, Certainly as it pertains to the administrative state. So uh, the long and short of it is you'll read a lot of takes out there that are very definitive with with how uh, uh, Amy Barrett will act in practice when it comes to regulation. Uh, Christopher Leonard, uh, as you mentioned, the uh, writings about uh, Judge Barrett and how she might rule on on regulatory cases. Christopher Leonard writes at uh, the New York Times. He's the author of Coke Land, the Secret History of Coke Industries and Corporate Power in America. Uh, He writes, the Coke network apparently has faith that Judge Barrett will rule in concert with these beliefs, that is, anti-regulatory beliefs. He says, this is something of a gamble. She has been a federal judge for only three years, leaving a short paper trail of cases and academic work from which deduce her views. Her legal writings do point toward one important idea. She, like many judges, appears to believe that some precedents which the court has created with its decisions should be overturned. Uh, Judge Barrett has publicly said that her judicial philosophy is the same as former Justice Antonin Scalia. So sounds kind of like he agrees with you. Well, I'll note this, having read the article in question, certainly the previous 800 to 1,000 words or so um, were implying the exact opposite. We're implying that the Coke machine is very much behind her because they expect her to rule in accordance um, with their values. Um, So notwithstanding that concession at the end, I do think the general tone of the article was um, more definitive in how it projected she would rule on the on the bench. That said, um, that final nugget is indeed true. Um, she's a disciple of Scalia, can't read too much into that given what I've said already, and, and her number of cases she's written on the, the Seventh Circuit, merely by virtue of the fact that she's only been there for three years, is rather limited. So uh, to the extent that there are Barrett stands out there uh, who want to get her onto onto the Supreme Court. Uh, a lot of this goes to the idea of uh, what some senators are calling settled law. That is the the idea that the the courts ruled on this. The reliance interests are large, and um, that the the so the argument goes that she doesn't have a whole lot of regard for uh somebody somebody like Clarence Thomas might not have a whole lot of regard for uh what is 
considered to be settled law? Uh, I, I'm not seeing it. Um, the, the look, stare decisis is a fraught issue. And certainly it's been fraught during the Roberts court. I mean, the, the chief justice is perhaps known as being um, a big proponent of that concept of, of stability in the law. I, I, I'm not seeing it. I mean, I, I guess I, I can't speak uh, authoritatively on her viewpoint there because I, I don't think you can read as much as perhaps um, some are in her limited writings on the subject. I mean, that's a hugely controversial matter. Um, one that is sort of taken by definition on a case by case basis. So it's, it's oh, it was difficult enough to prognosticate how she's going to interact with the administrative state. It's well nigh impossible to prognosticate this fraud issue of stare decisis. When it comes to deference, Chevron deference, our deference, our deference, A-U-E-R, has taken quite a hit lately. Um, to to what extent do we attribute that to uh, it, this so-called conservative majority on the court? The court had expressed skepticism over deference in general, but our deference in particular, a number of justices had. So uh, uh, it was trending that way. Long story short, our deference, um, for reasons I won't go into, but became a hugely controversial matter in administrative law circles. It became something that scholars, lawyers, and judges were paying close attention to. Again, it was trending towards being limited. There were two decisions in 2006 and 2010, um, uh, Gonzalez and uh, Chase Bank, that uh, narrowed our doctrine. And that was, you know, back in the Obama days or you know, the Bush and Obama days when the perhaps the partisan nature of the court wasn't as topical as it is today or, or in the limelight. Um, so, n- yes, do I think that having Gorsuch and Kavanaugh on the court, two anti-administrativists, if you will, um, helped facilitate the demise of, of our deference, of that particular form of deference. And I should note here, what is our deference? Our deference is courts deferring to agencies' interpretations of the rules that they write. Um, you know, in, in our system of separated powers, where we keep the legislature away from the judiciary, um, that is a weird concept. And it was appreciated as such by um, the court, increasingly so through the aughts, and then ultimately leading to its demise and that Kaiser v. Wilkie decision that you were alluding to. Um, so, I, yes, of course, the, the composition of the court had a, a role to play in that decision. However, you can't, by no means, was that something where the court changed overnight. I mean, it had been oper- you know, moving in that direction for a decade prior. Um, and the same thing is going on with Chevron deference right now. So, whereas our deference is courts respecting an agency's interpretation of the rules that it writes, Chevron deference is courts respecting an agency's interpretation of the laws that Congress writes, the the laws that empower these agencies. And as with our, this has been a hugely, Chevron deference has been a hugely controversial issue for about 25 years now. Um, And the court has waffled um, as it tends to do on issues of tremendous import in terms of the, the signals that justices have sent um, regarding the future of Chevron deference. Um, with the current composition of the court, would it shock me whether or not uh, were Chevron to be limited in some fashion? 
Yes. And I'm talking about the current composition of the court right now with only eight justices. Had Ginsburg still been on the court, I would tell you that it is likely that sometime in the future that Chevron deference was going to get narrowed by the Supreme Court. Um, so uh, I'm not seeing um, Amy Barrett as representing some sort of uh, changing on a dime. Instead, I'm seeing this as a culmination of, of a number of trends, at least in the realm of administrative law, that have been going on for decades. Will Yateman is a research fellow at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast anywhere you please and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.